Welcome to Jurassic Park for a minute. We'll be discussing the second Jurassic Park sequel one minute at a time. I'm Brad. And Dave. And today on this episode we're going to be discussing minute 66 of Jurassic Park 3. Before we get to that, uh, looking over at Jurassic-pedia.com we have an article uh, done by Tranosaur TJ of the uh, river barge from uh, these few minutes we're going to be talking about now. There's not a lot known online about this boat. I... I seem to remember an article from E Entertainment or something back in the day about this this prop and how it being one of the most expensive props created at the time and how it had the ability to sink and refloat itself and, and sink itself. Um, I haven't been able to find that anywhere, so that's that might be just me. If anyone's listening and remembers that or maybe has <laughs> that document saved somewhere, I'd love to reread it because even at the time when the movie came out, the boat never really sinks. We don't see it. We see the Spinosaurus sort of take the cabin away and the, the cage get pulled off the front, but that's that's sort of about it. Yeah, and I don't remember ever hearing about that myself. It sounds plausible because, I mean, it, I remember that seeing the um, storyboard art and the uh, concept art, the Spinosaurus is practically sinking the boat, you know? Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you'd have to do retakes, reshoots, and that on especially exactly. when you're working in the water with the animatronic. Yeah. But because it does have, there's a photo here on uh, Jurassicpedia of. Um, I can only assume this is sort of on that lake where uh, Amity and that is on Universal Backlot, where they got the lake and the the um. Oh, what's the name of the boat from Jaws? I can't remember it now. The orca. Orca, yeah, the orca, and that's there, isn't it? And I'm pretty sure this is yeah. the same lake. Well. Not anymore. I think they um, they took away that uh, the whole Jaws area in the Universal Studios Hollywood and Orlando uh, uh, parks. Yeah. So unfortunately, that's not there anymore. But I believe this lake is still there. Yeah. Yeah, but that because even looking at the um, the rust and that on the uh, the boat, sort of half it would be um, what the production put there, and the other half would be the fact that this boat's been sitting in the water for a few years. I'd, I dare say that um, this photo is taken a, a while after 2001, but because that's also the lake where the SS Venture was sitting for a while, wasn't it? The model. Which one? Wasn't the model the miniature oh. of the SS Venture put there as well for some time? I'm not sure about that. I no, I thought that was closer to the Spanish set. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I remember the seeing the Spanish, uh, the like the Spanish town set mm-hmm. in the background of that when I. Oh, I saw a picture of it. Yep. This seems this picture here on the main uh, on the article here. It seems to be. I think that was taken at um, on on location here, and they were just moving it into place. Oh, okay. That would make yeah, that makes sense if it's at at um, Hawaii. It actually now you say it does look a lot like the river that we're on, and the um, the foliage on the side of it. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the picture below it, where you see the Spinosaurus animatronic uh, knocking. It looks like it's knocking the boat, and uh, that one, that the Spinosaurus was was filmed in a large lake-like tub um, with like set with a set wall behind it that and a um, set in the uh, prop crane that the Spinosaurus crashes into. Hmm. Yeah, that's the that's the the joy of nighttime shooting. You can do it on a stage yeah, really. like that, much like the uh, the T Rex breakout, all that. Oh, banging. it's amazing! <laughs> it's amazing how much you get away with when you shoot at night. Like, um, for example, the Halloween the Halloween four, five, and six were all shot in Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah. 
And if you look at the day shots of the filming locations, I mean, you can see these giant, massive Rocky Mountains behind all these houses that they're filming in. And, I mean, if anybody knows Illinois, Illinois has no mountains whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) It It has some small, very small ones at the very southern tip, but that's it. And nothing like what you'd see in Salt Lake City. Yeah. But they get away with all that just because it's all night shoots. It's you don't see any of that in the actual in the actual film because it's all night shoots. And so basically with the nice thing about a night shoot is you get away with basically half building a set because nothing you won't be able to see what's there. You only see what the director wants you to see. Mm. Yeah, I remember when I learned that that T-Rex breakout was all filmed on a set that completely blew my mind. Just the, like the mud on the road and the rain, having that much water on set, and again they they went far beyond in the Lost World with the RV on the cliff as well. Just mm. actually water running off that little cliff they made for the mm-hmm. actors to climb back over is just yeah blew my mind. It was a huge pain in the ass for production, oh, yeah. though, just because the T Rex wasn't waterproof. Is <laughs> inf- it's infamously known that the T Rex would the foam rubber would soak up the. Uh, soak up the water from the rain spigots uh, in the ceiling and suddenly your 9,000 pound T-Rex uh, doubles in weight and it starts breaking. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's finely tuned so having the extra weight's not good for the servos <laughs> and hydraulics. But that's uh, that's the Jurassic Barge or uh, in film, the Jurassic Boat, Cage Boat. <laughs> Head over to Jurassic-pedia.com and check that out and uh, a lot more. I remember that on InGen's list. Because it wasn't on their list, and it makes you wonder what else they were up to. All right, we've got some feedback, Dave. The last few weeks, we've um, been posting up some photos of behind the scenes of the uh, aviary and the canyon set at the back of Universal, and we've been getting some fantastic uh, discussion from um, from listeners on our Facebook and other sites or other social media as well. So, thank you to everyone that's been um, communicating and talking about some of those photos we've posted up, and keep it up. We love uh, love hearing from you and. Uh, talking about the films. Mm-hmm. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now, what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters, nothing more and nothing less. All right, Dave, ready to get in two minutes 66. Yep. As we entered minute 65 Jurassic Park 3, we'd escaped the aviary, and the boat had started drifting down the jungle river. As we open on minute 66, Paul Paul starts one of the outboard motors and gets it running, and checks the fuel tank, saying that there's plenty of gas inside. He then walks up to the centre console of the boat, murmuring to himself, we'll just go get to the coast, and light a fire. At the 17 second mark, a man's just standing there looking at him, and Paul finally realises, and stops talking. At the 22 second mark, we cut to the front of the boat. As Eric sees Grant standing by himself in the bow, and says, Dr. Grant? Alan turns and sees Eric. Says, hey, Eric, how are you doing? At the 29 second mark, Grant sits down, and Eric comes down to join him, sitting in front of him. After a moment of silence, Eric says, I'm sorry about Billy. Grant nods his head in appreciation, and tells him about the last thing he said to him, that he was no better than the people that built this place. But it wasn't true. Billy was just young. He was just Billy. 
And as minute ends, Grant tells Eric that he has a theory, and that there's two types of boys in the world. Minute 66, before we get into the minute itself, Dave, I wanted to have one last little recap about the uh, aviary. One thing we didn't really mention when we got that exterior shot with Grant and that, it was just the scale, the scope, the engineering um, size of this project. And like when we um, when we had them drift away from the uh, the aviary, I sort of suggested that maybe they're down, going down a, a smaller and a branch of the main river here. And we do mm-hmm. see in this minute the river they're on is quite small. Um, because this, this aviary, the amount of steel, <laughs> concrete, construction... The cranes, you can imagine those tower cranes, like city tower cranes either side of this canyon putting these steel beams into place. It would all have to come in by river, wouldn't it? Uh, not necessarily, because the the aviary itself is in a, like a, not super thin, but rather thin-ish canyon with the river running through it. So you could probably just place cranes up on either side of the uh, mm. canyon and just lower the... Uh, steel beams and stuff that you need into place from there. Yeah, yep. It's something, yeah, it's, it, it lends itself to discussion too. We are going to have one day about the um, the difference between the novel and film, why they're in Costa Rica, and the whole, this all supposed to be being secret, but just the uh, the shipments of steel and equipment <laughs> to sauna to build all this stuff we've been looking at mm-hmm. um, and not have it seen by aircraft flying over is... Um, starting to get a little bit implausible. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was thinking that, though, when we were looking, when we were leaving the aviary, about how much just engineering, from an engineering standpoint, material went into building this aviary. I mean, a massive amount of concrete, a massive amount of steel, you know? Yeah, because not even... I've been looking... <laughs> even though the minutes passed, I've been looking at that that shot, looking back at the aviary for some time since we done the minute, and even where the uh, the dome goes around that that rocky rocky pillar, and then where the uh, the main roof goes and fo- starts following the the canyon deeper, you can see how it's sort of elevated. The roof's elevated up above the canyon wall, which might suggest the canyon walls aren't as high there as what they are deeper into the mm-hmm. canyon. And yeah, it's it's a massive structure, and just sort of comparing to other large structures we've seen in the franchise, I'm I'm pretty sure this would be the biggest. A lot of the other stuff we've seen is that low concrete buildings um, from the visitor center up to the the um, operations building and the and the lab as well. Like the lab was pretty sparse or spread out, but um, still a lot of like standard warehousing and concrete buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lab seemed to be mostly your basic sheet metal shed, basically. Mm. I probably wouldn't have needed much insulation. It's a tropical island, and it probably would have held minimal um, air conditioning, mostly for the computers and whatever little staff they had on hand. Yeah. Because it was so automated, you know? Mm. I think that's it. I think we can move on now. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's all me for the the aviary. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into 66. Um, we open as the... Uh, we get that sort of transition as the barge is floating down a tight little river here, and it's pretty heavily forested on both sides, and it sort of looks that dark grey. There doesn't seem to be a lot of sunlight mm-hmm. coming in, which you can't see it above, but you can just imagine that jungle uh, jungle canopy <laughs> coming up over the top of the boat as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, this was done on location in Hawaii, and it is a smaller river. I can't remember exactly where it is, but, I mean... 
the river does kind of seem to get wider and then thinner as it uh as it moves along because moving out of the aviary it was pretty wide but moving um into this area it's pretty it's pretty thin and then once we get to the marina area it gets wide again mm, yeah and red rivers do that even um even next minute when we come to the the opening where it's sort of all the forest disappears when we get the plains as well it looks a bit wider there too and um, a little bit bigger but it doesn't seem to be flying that fast because here we uh we can hear a motor trying to start and we cut to the back of the boat mm-hmm. as paul uh paul starts one of the outboard motors using his belt which i never picked up on before <laughs> yesterday when i've done the uh the playthrough of the minute which is sort of i, I found interesting because the um both engine covers are off here but um i'm guessing he's already tried to get the other outboard start and possibly hasn't mm-hmm. been able to so he's now working on this one and last minute when we seen them get onto the boat we could see the other pair of 40 horsepower yamaha outboards which is a good effort trying to pull start one of those i'd have a bit of compression so maybe he um he broke the pull starter on it or um although being outboards like this with forward controls that'd have to be electric start but we can see here i think up up to 40 horsepower you do have the option of having um a stop to put the rope around the flywheel to be able to pull start them I always thought it was a pull. I thought it was, thought it was a pull start. I never realized that he actually uses his belt to do it. Mm. I always thought that he that the uh, pull for it was just lying around in the boat someplace, and they found it, and that's how they did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure it's 40 or 50 horsepower. After that, the compression gets too high, and you'd have no hope of pull starting it. But um, outboard motors, when they're when they're designed to be powered or controlled from forward controls, like we get here. Um, they're normally electric start and uh, they're trim and all that sort of stuff as well and they wouldn't have the pull start feature they've got the flywheel on top that you can't do it if you run into issues flat battery that sort of thing but which again eight years <laughs> abandoned on a river it's, the batteries aren't going to work mm-hmm. and is not going to work gasoline's probably not going to work either <laughs> well it's going to yeah. turn into lacquer <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. that's it the motor the motor coughs and splutters and fires up which fine he does get it started and he sort of looks over to a nearby fuel tank and says there's plenty of gas while he's looking in through the uh the filler neck on it and um he get we get a lot of him just mumbling to himself here but it's interesting they've got this big tank of gas on the side of it that there's plenty of fuel in there yes it's still good after eight years where i think it's about nine months fuel starts to go bad mm-hmm. i've got i've got fuel in my outboard motor here that's probably 12 months old <laughs> but it's it's mixed <laughs> it's pre-mixed because it's two strokes so that might help it a little bit longevity but um yeah it, there's a jerry can on the other side too which maybe maybe you had to add some gas to it but yeah but i did want to ask the question why why getting the motors going in the first place sort of back the start of the film where man is on the pa and grants no that's a bad idea you're making too much noise and here we're going to start a an outboard motor and um <laughs> especially if eight year old fuel it's going to cause a bit of smoke <laughs> to billow out because it's going to smoke, it's going to be loud, it's going to be smelly. And frankly, I think they, they just want to get off the island as fast as possible. And I think that at this point, the plan was more similar to the um, to the Lost World novel, where the they basically just go out from the island and get to, um, get to the mainland. But... This is the island. It's a lot further from the coat from the Costa Rican coastline than it is in the novel. Yeah. Sorna in the 
in the novel was visible from the uh, from the coast of Costa Rica in a rainstorm. Yeah. And uh, basically, I, I think isn't it like two hundred miles over two hundred miles from Isla Sorna to Costa Rica? Uh, it's like 208 or something like that. Mm, yeah, it's 207. 207 miles. Uh, Alright, so I was close. Yeah. Yeah, because um, in the novel, I think it's 10 miles offshore. Yeah, it's not very far at all. I mean, it, like I said, they could spot the uh, islands from, uh, the, from that little town they were in in a rainstorm. And, but that's... Yeah, and... Getting the boat going and having a motor going here, it um, it's a lot more seaworthy or uh, seaworthy. I suppose seaworthy is the word. It didn't want we get in the uh, the script in it with the rusty old barge where Amanda's bailing water out of it. So it could be a plan B to try and at least get out to a shipping lane or something if they've got enough fuel there. But we do get in a few shots here and next minute where they're going downstream and the, there doesn't seem to be a lot of current. Um, with the river yeah. getting wider and narrower and that, it um, there doesn't seem to be much of a current on on the from the surface anyway. So if um, well, the river's pretty muddy here too, so it might be pretty deep. You yeah, know? yeah. And we're sort of we know we're sort of moving towards nighttime too. So mm-hmm. having some speed, they don't they don't rev the motors. They just have them sit there idling as they go down yeah. the river as well, which would keep that noise down considerably. And because it's because it's something new, made to be looks look like something old. The motors don't smoke <laughs> like they should, mm-hmm. but um, I'm I'm guessing that's why one of the reasons why they they get them going here is just getting close to night time and they're not really going as fast or getting downstream as quickly as I'd hoped. Mm-hmm. But Paul sort of walks up to the center console and he continues uh, mumbling to himself. We can get to the coast. We can set up some type of a signal, build a fire <laughs> or something you can see from near. And Amanda's sort of just looking at him now and he realizes and stops talking himself <laughs> <laughs> but that's when we cut to the front of the boat and grant sitting by himself looking forward and he can sort of see that that real deeper orange sunlight coming in through the trees as it's um mm-hmm. as the sun's dropping but eric walks up to him and says um dr grant and he turns says hey eric, how are you going and then sits down and Eric sits opposite him, and after a long pause, says he's sorry about Billy. Which, um, depending on how long Paul's been working on this, the motors and that, we can assume it's been a few hours since they left the aviary. Just, just the way the sun's dropping so quickly. Mm-hmm. I think we, um, when we we're going through the aviary and that, that would have been before midday. So, I'm guessing a considerable amount of times passed. Mm-hmm. Well, enough time. Well, I was, as I was saying, the um, aviary, the sun is behind the cliff face, uh, and so they're in because they're in the shade the whole time that they're in that cliff, and there's like no sunlight inside the cliffs at all. Mm. Yeah, so that it all depends <laughs> depends on the orientation where it is. If it's what time of year, whether the sun even shines in the cliff. We've seen all the mold and moss on the canyon walls, so mm-hmm. it's easy to assume that. Um, the canyon itself doesn't get a lot of sun, even though we do get the the forested section at the end, at the base. So, one thing I do love here, or found interesting, is in the background when Eric sits down, you can sort of see the foliage through the cage bars behind him, and the boat's not moving. <laughs> the, the whole 
the whole scene here where we cut back and forth between him and Alan, you can s- clearly see the same branch over and over again where the boat's just sitting in the water. <laughs> <laughs> Is there things you're not meant to see? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things he, because we get Granny looks upset and then recalls the last thing he said to Billy. Um, you're as bad as the people who built this place, which going back isn't what he actually said. He said, you're no better than the people that built this place. So, Grant's... Well, that's also not the last thing he said to him. I, th- I think the last thing he said to him was, Billy, no! <laughs> <laughs> well, the last meaningful conversation he had, maybe. <laughs> but uh, he continues, it wasn't true. Bill was just young, and that's all, which... The young can be naive, <laughs> but as the uh, as the minute ends, we start we start to get the um, the Grant's theory on children, but um, we can look at that more next minute. Just briefly too, before we go to script and novel, it's one of those things that's commonly done in films here, and in this scene where we get Eric and Billy, uh, Eric and Grant back and forth, where you sort of film behind the person that's being talked to, it just um, it's either reshoots or the actors weren't on set at the same time <laughs> at, while this was all being filmed and their stand-ins are there. Um, it, it's normally what happens when you can't see the other actor that the main actor's talking to. And we know that um, Billy's death was changed later on, so maybe maybe this was something that was added later or originally there. I think that this was them actually just standing there, though. I don't, I don't, I don't think that there was a lot of reshoots done on this movie. Yeah. I think that they actually did have the conversation there because I remember seeing photos of Grant and Billy standing, I mean, not Grant, I'm sorry, Grant and Eric uh, on the barge. I'll see if I can find those. Well, when they, when we get them, when we come out of the, um, the forest to the, the valley, they're definitely standing there side by side. When Eric comes up and says hello to Dr. Grant, they're definitely mm-hmm. on the bow side, the side by side as well. But it's just, and that's possibly there, but it's just normally one of those techniques in filmmaking when when you have these back and forth conversations and you don't have both people in the frame at the same time where you can see their faces. It's because one or the other wasn't there. You'd mm-hmm. film, you'd film all of Eric's dialogue looking behind Grant standing, and film all of Grant's dialogue behind Eric standing, and just splice the two together, match it in. But but as you said, yeah, <laughs> a lot of a lot of this film wasn't cut, so. They would have been using every little bit they had. Going over the script for briefly, um, we get a bit a little bit different dialogue from Paul. Instead of rambling on about um, getting to the coast and making a fire, he's sort of being hard on himself, not jumping that gap in the uh, catwalk back in the Avery to save his son. And his son was in danger there, and he didn't do anything to uh, to save him. And it should have been him on the beach with the Trinidons instead of Billy, which. He's um he's pretty much down on himself for not being the father he should be or thinks he should be, which, as Amanda says, then you wouldn't be here, and I'm glad about that. So he's sort of feeling a bit down that he didn't um didn't act when he could have, even though <laughs> she she tells him there's no way you would have been able to make that jump from from side to side you would have been falling down into the water. And that's when we cut to Eric, who's uh, already sitting at the bar at the bow of the barge with Grant. He doesn't come up and say hello. And in the novel, we get some, the same sort of murmuring from Paul that he should have done more. And um, Amanda adds, "How that? How would that have helped Eric? Um, he needs you, Paul. He needs us." And Paul responds, uh, "Paul responds, but he could be could have died." And Eric, Amanda says, "But he didn't, and neither did you." I'm sorry about Billy Paul. I really am, but I'm glad you and Eric are alive. So we do get a lot more of that dialogue 
between um, Amanda and Paul and seemingly starting to uh, come back together again as well. Grant and Eric are up at the bow of the boat and Eric sort of says, check it out, um, spying on his parents. They're almost, well, it almost looks like they're getting along and sort of Grant uh, grunts uncomfortably and um, moves away and that's when Eric, Eric sort of realises why and says he's sorry about Billy and adds that he's saved my life. And uh, the rest of that's pretty much the same as what we get in the film. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's minute sixty six, David. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here for the day? I think we uh, covered that pretty well. All right, lovely. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is jurassicminutes.wordpress.com, and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are we on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on earth or heaven could get me on that island. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to mommy now! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.